I read an article over the past couple of weeks entitled, A Nurse for the Dying Uncovered Their Biggest Regrets. A Nurse for the Dying Uncovered Their Biggest Regrets. I looked at the title and I thought, wow, that's grim. So I immediately did what you would do. I read the article. But as I read the article and I looked at what the regrets were, it occurred to me that God has designed our lives to be lived devoid of regret. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done one or two things in the course of my lifetime that I regret. Lou. I mean, you open your visa statement and it's just like, I really regret that. <laughs> you eat a meal and sometime later, I really regret doing that. <laughs> Maybe we make a mistake in traffic or some other mistake. So we all understand that because life isn't perfect and we certainly aren't either, that we do things that have attached to them the potential for those actions to yield regrets. And yet the amazing thing about walking with God is that because of His mercy and because of His grace, we can live in such a way that regardless of what the past offense was, God's got it covered. Smile when you say that. Jesus describes this in John 10. He says, I've come that they might have life and have life to the full or life more abundantly. You see, God's intention for us was not just that we would spontaneously respirate for 80-some-odd years and then get taken up to glory. But God intended for this life, if you wish, to be a reflection of glory. Lived in the presence of God. Lived in such a way that we're not living our life under the stuff all the time. But we're living differently than the counterparts in the world that we see around us. So then, if we know that God's done his part in all this, how then do we live a life worth living? Some years ago, my wife and I were ministering to a young woman to her teens. And as many teenagers do, she was having one of those moments where she wasn't getting a whole lot right in her decision-making. And she had come to us, and we were trying to help her, and her grand- she had overheard a comment her grandmother made about her to another family member. And her grandmother's comment was, what a waste of a human. Now, let me tell you, that takes more than 60 minutes in a counselor's office to pull that sword out. And yet... God has already predetermined that your life and my life are not wasted lives. And I want to give you three points this morning briefly to talk about how we live a life worth living. The very first is managing expectations. Interestingly, on the list in this article, at the top of the list, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself And not the life others expected of me. Now, this article, let me, let me, no biblical worldview, all right? It wasn't, it was a secular article. I mean, did not agree with all the conclusions whereby which they arrived. But very interesting that the life others expected of me. 
There's that word expectation. Because what I find is that most of the time, this is the genesis of the crisis right here is an expectation. Now, in May, my wife and I will celebrate 36 years of marriage. My wife is obviously angelic. She keeps her wings tucked in when she goes out in public so as not freak people out. She's an amazing woman. Anybody that knows me just a little bit knows how amazing she really is. But it's fascinating that after 36 years of marriage and two years of courting, I'm still in discovery mode with this woman. Now, ladies, I don't know when you get together in your little retreat things or your little crocheting circles or your little women's Bible studies. If y'all are getting together and kind of designing these grand goofs for your husbands. But it's amazing that after almost four decades of being with this woman, I'm still discovering stuff. Now, that's amazing to me. Now, the big ones we've already got figured out, the expectations. You know, I want you to take the garbage out before it becomes compost or takes on a life form of its own. If there's a bug, I want you to deal with the bug. Snakes come under that category and pretty much all wildlife as well. And so we pretty much have an understanding from an expectation standpoint of how this thing works. Are you with me? But it's those unspoken expectations. Pastor Danell and Pastor Duke and other pastors that can tell you what it's like to have a, a married couple step into your office and they finally begin to communicate without the threat of, you know, something being hurled past their head. And they're finally in a moment of communication and the husband and wife, this is a moment of, really? You mean you expect, you mean, you, what, what? They're finding out, and it was these unmet, for the most part, it was the unmet expectations that was really creating most of the crisis. Are you with me? And there are expectations that are out there. Every time that you have an encounter, you have an expectation. You get in your car and you drive down 28, you have an expectation that the other people in their automobiles are abiding by the same set of traffic laws that the commonwealth has set forth that you are abiding. Amen? Now, how many of you know that doesn't always work that way? I mean, for instance, you get out there on 28, it's posted 55. That's a mere suggestion. Because <laughs> everybody's going 70 miles an hour down there. Are you with me? And so then someone cuts you off or they do something. But you have an expectation that everyone is going to do what? Drive carefully. It doesn't always happen. You have an expectation when you go to a restaurant and you engage with a server and you order a meal that they're going to bring you that meal is going to be more or less what you ordered and then they're going to pretty much go away. You ever had one of those chatty servers? I mean, I've had servers that would actually sit down at the table and it's just like, please, I love you and all, but go away. See, Pastor Brett would see that as a kingdom encounter, and they'd get saved in their whole household. <laughs> I just want lunch. You know what I'm saying? Just we'll talk about Jesus after lunch. But right now, let me eat. 
But these expectations that we place on ourselves, on others, on God. And we put these expectations on ourselves. It's amazing the things that we walk around with and and we're, we're all bent over and broken down and we're trying to bind and loose the devil and we're trying and God is saying, what are you doing, fool? I love you and all, but why are you carrying that? That's not a requirement I put on you. Where'd you pick that up? Well, I read it on the internet, you know? And so we have all of these I shoulds. And so we, we put ourselves under all this stuff, these expectations of how we're supposed to look, dress, how much we're supposed to weigh, how much we're supposed to make at a certain age, how much money we're supposed to have in our 401s by the time we're 50 years old. And we read all and we say, oh, and we wonder why we walk around like Quasimodo. This is for the devil ever gets started. He's saying, I ain't, got to do, I ain't got to do much to push you down. Because we're already loaded down with expectations that for the most part, they're not God to begin with. And we wonder where all this self-hate and this condemnation comes from many times. Because when we do that, it's a manifestation that now we've moved to a place of judgment and we have by extension, become the judge. Now, I have learned that the fastest way to get in trouble with God is to try to be God. Is to try to take on a function that God himself has reserved for himself. And judge happens to be one of those places. Paul wrote about this. He's very clear, 1 Corinthians 4, 3. I don't care. If I'm judged by you or anybody else, as a matter of fact, I don't even judge myself. God is my judge. What would happen if we would leave it there? I mean, seriously, what would happen if we would just leave it right there? That we receive conviction and cleansing once God has done what he does through the Holy Spirit. But this judgment that we, that we walk around now, do you realize the judgment's been met? The judgment's been meted out to Jesus. Yes, you're guilty. But because of the cross, you've been found innocent of that crime. And yet, we judge ourselves. We judge others. Because, once again, they're not living up to our expectations of how we should be treated. Well, they didn't friend me. They didn't return my text. I mean, we're not even even expecting to get a phone call anymore. You with me? we're, We're beyond phone calls. But now it's like, he didn't return my text. Fool can't even send me an emoticon. I'm rejected. I'm offended. You know what I'm talking about. But we have expectations that we place on other people. And then this is where this unforgiveness and this root of bitterness begins to to, to take root in our life. We wonder where that came from. And then there's the expectations we place on God. And this is always the beginning of a faith crisis. Because God somehow doesn't perform according to our specifications. And we all have specifications of how we want God to do a thing. Second Kings 5 is probably the most 
famous story in Scripture of expectations of God moving. Naaman, army commander. And he sees Elisha on TBN and he sees that, you know, he's, you know, he's got a meeting coming up in Virginia Beach with Benny Hinn. And so everybody's, you know, he's just like, so he hears, he hears about from the friend of a friend, you know, you need to go get hooked up with this guy because he's got a little something for you. So he goes down and he thinks, well, you know, I'm, only, I'm, I'm an important guy, so I know he's going to give me some time. And this is, this is the account. <laughs> It didn't happen that way. Matter of fact, Elisha sent his guy out. How many of you know how infuriating that is? You show up, you're important. I want to talk to the guy in charge, and he sends his guy out. Well, already, it's not a good day. Because you've kind of already been put in your place a little bit. It says, Naaman went away angry. And this is what he said, I thought that he. What is the I thought? It's an expectation. He'd written this thing. I thought he would come out to me, stand and call on the name of whose God? His God. Not Naaman's God, his God. I'm needing to draft in something he's got, not something I got. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Sounds a lot like the expectation that we have of altar ministry. Sounds a whole lot like it. You know, I'm looking for the man of God. You know, he's going to come out. He's going to call me out of the meeting. He's going, to lay, he's going to wave his hand over the spot, and I'm going to be healed. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever received prayer, and the thing you were asking for did not happen in that moment? Okay, we either got some liars and some folks that ain't praying for anything in here. Okay, God bless you. The Holy Spirit will convict. But the reality is, how, how often do we have one of the prayer team up here pray for us and the symptoms that we came to church with, we leave with? It happens, does it not? And yet, we believe in the laying on of hands for healing. James says, if any among you is sick, have him call on the elders of the church, anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. We believe that and we practice that here. However, many times, God doesn't move in that particular moment. It's just like, what's the deal? I, I, what, 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 where is God failing me? And how often we get all hung up in the mechanics because we've said, God, this is how I want you to do a thing. Oh, God, my finances are train wreck. Send me money. And so we think we're going to hit the Virginia lottery. So we go out and we buy some more lottery tickets. Or, you know, we think that maybe we're going to win the publisher clearing house sweepstakes this year. And we think that somehow God's going to do this by means of direct deposit. I mean, we're going to wake up one morning and all of a sudden, you know, there's extra zeros in our bank account. Hallelujah. And God says, you know what? There's some opportunities at work. I'm going to give you some opportunity to work some overtime at time and a half. <laughs> nope. Uh-uh. Not what I had in mind. 
really was looking for the check. Honestly, not the check, the direct deposit. That whole going to the bank and making a deposit is a hassle. Just put it in the bank account. <laughs> Over time, you must be joking. God, heal me. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop eating sugar. I want you to exercise. I want you to start doing this. Do what the doctor tells you to do. Whoa, whoa, hey. Just wave your hands over the spot. And say, mountain, be moved. You mean God might actually use the doctor? The medical community? God forbid a trainer? (laughs) But that's not how we want God to do it. Come on. We just want to wake up one morning. Ooh, pants fit. (laughs) Blood pressure down. Cholesterol normal. I'm sorry. Many times God will use these other agents. But we've got to adjust. We've got to manage our expectations. Zechariah, how is this going to happen? Gabriel shows up. The I mean, this is Gabriel, big dude, angel guy. So this is what, how is this going to happen? I don't know about you, but I would not be mouthing off to Gabriel. I'm serious. I mean, how many folk, when Jesus came in on the wrong side of town, with that raggedy profession, that, that, that raggedy procession coming in on a cult. I mean, how many folk looking for the Messiah missed him just based on expectation? Certainly he's going to show up politically, militarily. He's going to show up in the temple. He's going to at least have his own show on TBN. I mean, we're going to know him when he shows up. But how many folk... Not only then, but now continue to miss God because they've got such a limited set of expectations of how he's going to show up, when he's going to show up, and how he's going to show up. And so many times, God is at work. We're just missing it the whole time because he's not coming in through our narrow gate of our own understanding and our own specification. Wow. The disciples were continuing to press Jesus. They knew, they knew who he was by this time. Lord, they called him Lord. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They were still hung up on the mechanics of the thing. I mean, Jesus crucified, resurrected, appearing, teaching, and they're still worried about the stinking calendar. Jesus says, guys, guys, guys. Not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. Don't, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And for us to live a life worthy to be lived, we've got to manage these expectations. Hear me. We really do. We've got to get our expectations in alignment with the will of God. See, when you get your expectations aligned with God's will, many of the struggles and challenges that you have, they're going to go away. I didn't say all of them. Jesus said in this life, you're going to have trouble. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit, the comforter to us. And yet many times this, 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 this tension we feel between faith and expectation. And they're two sides of the same coin. But the reality is we've got to manage that expectation 
to have that life that God intended. The second is experience. And I'll just touch on this for the sake of time. We use this word experience many times of to, to, to talk about something that we've done or seen or we want to do. It's a thing. But number four on the list from that article was, I wish I stayed in touch with my friends. You see, life is intended to be lived relationally. First with God, then with others. The pattern is the garden. I mean, here's Adam. Everything known that Adam could ever want was around him. Let me break that down for you. That would be like you living in the midst of the mall. Nordstrom, Krispy Kreme, (laughs) BMW dealer. I mean, whatever your thing is. And anything that your eye or your heart desires is available for you. And you get to walk with God face to face to boot. That's a pretty sweet deal. That's what Adam had. And yet, even in the midst of all of the splendors of paradise and all of the glory of the presence of God, Adam, God looked at Adam and he said, you know, it's not good for you to be alone. And he created Eve as a helpmeet. You see, the thing that amplifies experience is always the ability to share it with someone else. My wife, and I've told this story before, but we, we live in a beautiful place and you know, we, we face west, which is really good because if we faced east, we'd never see the sun come up, but we're up that time of day, so we get to see it come down. So, but we will constantly be watching the sun go down and we will constantly be yelling at each other around the house, sunset alert, sunset alert, because as beautiful as it is, there's something about sharing it with someone that heightens the enjoyment. You go to a restaurant and you order this, you order something and you take the first bite and you have that, you know how, you hope this body language. You know, you, your head kind of goes back. You have a little moment of worship. You understand? What now, what is the second bite that you take? What do you do with it? You got to try this. Come on. I mean, glad, hope nobody around the table is communicable. You understand? So, but you just, oh, man, you got, this is the great, you just got to try. I mean, so, but it would be a little bizarre is, mine. It's like Gollum, mine. <laughs> kind of like an animal over a kill. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. I have friends that do that. But for the most part, what heightens the enjoyment of your meal is the fact that everybody else is giving a scent. Oh, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to order that next time. Incredible. You see, experience always is heightened by the ability to share it with someone else. Christians wonder, God, I'm doing all the right things. Where is the joy? Maybe it's because you're not sharing with anybody. Maybe because the experience, the richness of your salvation, the mercy and the grace extended to you on a daily basis, maybe the reason that the joy is not there in your service is the fact that you're not doing what? Sharing it with anyone. The experiences. Something that you see in the Bible. Man, have you ever seen this before? And I'm not talking about just throwing a tweet out there. I'm throwing about, talking about engaging somebody. 
with that nugget, with that revelation, sharing with somebody, this is what I was, this is what God has done for me. Everything is intended to be what? Shared. It's what makes experience work. And yet we've replaced it in our connected, disconnected culture with, these, with our electronic pacifier. So we tweet our deep, profound thoughts and we you know, Pinterest our latest creation and we Instagram the sunset and we Facebook everything else to those seven people that follow us. <laughs> and we think, we're connected. I mean, I, I'm connected to people I went to high school with. You're not connected, you're stalking them electronically. You haven't talked to these folks in 35 years. You, have, you don't know nothing about their life except that which they're giving you a snapshot into via this tool. And I'm not anti-social media, but I'm telling you, I can't help but think that we're going to look back and we're going to wonder, what did we do? Under the guise of having fellowship and being connected, what was this? Because it certainly wasn't what God intended when he created Eve for Adam. And then lastly, for us to live a life worth living, it's a life based on exchange. In that list from the article, I wish I had let myself be happier. Now that's, eh, that's, that's a little pop psychology perhaps, but, but the idea that you mean we have a choice in this? That we can actually exchange. Last year, I had a kind of a cathartic moment that, and maybe some of you were raised the same way, but I was raised that fulfillment had to do with productivity. That you were happy when you were producing. And yet, the idea of just being happy was a foreign concept to me. That sounds weird for a 50-some-odd-year-old man, but I began to realize I don't know how to do that. I mean, I've been happy. I'm happy a lot. But the idea that it's a choice, like flipping a switch, there's an exchange that I can make, that was, that was kind of new information for me. Paul understood this writing in Philippians 4. He talks about contentment. He said, I've learned the secret of being content, whether abound or abased, whether in need or in plenty. It's a secret. Well, let me tell you what the secret is. The secret is exchange. Paul chose something. He chose to exchange. And see, the power of exchange we need to understand is not tied to circumstances. This is critical that you understand this. Do you realize that we get most of the New Testament from a dude who was in prison in chains? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, kick back with, you know, a big happy time tea and, you know, desk and word processor. No, no, no. We're talking about a guy in chains writing letters. That much of what we read and we study in this New Testament was a man choosing to exchange what was far from an ideal circumstance to turn it into something now that has generational impact on us. It's power in those exchanges. This currency. We understand the principle of currency in the world. That we work and we get a, a unit 
whether it's a dollar or a euro or a bitcoin or whatever else is being traded out there now. And it's very convenient for us. We understand currency. But let me tell you what the currency of the kingdom is. It's exchange. Exchange is the currency of the kingdom. Let me explain this. We exchange sin for righteousness. We exchange darkness for light. We exchange death for life. And you might be thinking, but who's on the other side of the glass? Because he's getting a raw deal. It's Jesus. But you see, that's the currency. Is that we give over what we have and then God exchanges it for something of immensely greater value and immensely greater worth. Galatians speaks of this. He says, God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the penultimate exchange right here. John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Saving Private Ryan, if you remember that movie. Squadron of soldiers go after this one brother. Most of, that, most of those men die retrieving this one guy. Tom Hanks, who is a sergeant of this particular group of men, he's shot, he's dying. And in the moment of his dying, he grabs Private Ryan and he says, earn this. Now, I tell you, I, I, that, that, woo, the weight of that, I'm thinking, thank God he didn't do that to me. Because the reality is, that's the picture of what Christ has done for you. Except you can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. The expectations of law that you put on yourself, good behavior, right living, you cannot earn that exchange. That exchange was free to you, but it cost God his son. It's important you remember this. You see, we begin to look at our life and ask ourselves, is it really a life worth living? Do you realize that question has been asked and answered before the foundations of the world were laid when your name was inscribed in the book of life? That your life was a life worth living because it was a life worthy of exchange. We try to qualify many times. Is it a life worth living? Let me just tell you, God, the sovereign, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha, Omega, over and above all, already decided that your life was worth living. He declared it. I have come that they would have life and life more abundantly. He not only described that it would be life, he described what that life should entail. What it should contain on a day in, day out basis. John 10, 11, I'll close with this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Once again, the exchange. God's already decided the issue. The question is, have you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, a long time ago, decided that we were marked for life, not for death.
And it was a life worth living.